2: If you don't show you've got a bit of a sense of, of irony, I think, I just think that is such an essential British trait. If you don't show you don't take yourself entirely seriously, well, yeah, you know, it's not all that serious sometimes. Yes, it is serious in many cases, but hey, you can have a laugh at yourself.
0: I don't think you do very well. Welcome to the Humorology podcast with me Paul Baross and my glittering lineup of guests from the worlds of business, sport and entertainment who are going to share their wisdom and their use of humor with you. Humorology is the study of how humor can dramatically improve your business and your life. Humorology puts the fun into business fundamentals, increases the value of your laughing stock and puts a punchline back into your bottom line. Please remember to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. My guest on this edition of the Humorology Podcast is a multi-award winning baron of broadcasting. From the BBC to ITV to CNBC Europe to Sky News, he has built a legendary career presenting the nation's most important news. In addition to being one of the most notable newsreaders in the nation, for many years, he mirthfully measured man's mastery on the BBC quiz show Eggheads. Not only can he leave audiences laughing as master of ceremonies whilst hosting huge conferences around the world, but he has also been trusted to break some of the world's most meaningful moments to millions. Dermot Murnahan, welcome to the Humorology Podcast.
2: Very nice to be here, Paul. What a nice introduction! I'll take that Baron of Broadcasting. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, uh, well, we like alliteration here, but you are, you are, you are the Baron of Broadcasting. You can now put it on your cards.
2: Yes, yes, so the Lord of the Airwaves.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, talking of the airways, you've worked uh, for many years predominantly on live TV, where things frequently go wrong and it can be very stressful. Do you think that having a sense of humour is important in those situations? Paul, it's more than important, it's essential. I mean, it really is
2: absolutely essential. If in your head, uh, when something goes wrong, and it can be, you know, a a million things. I mean, I can't actually think of a single day that goes by in the the live sphere when, you know, something, and it would usually be fairly minor, uh, goes wrong. But if in your head you can't imagine yourself as the viewer quite enjoying it or thinking, oh, poor sod at the other end, then um, then you're not able to deal with it. You kind of have to have an out of body experience, I think. I, uh, I and also a forgiving, uh, a forgiving nature because some of my colleagues with a less forgiving nature, and I won't name any names, <coughs> definitely not, um, you know, can get a bit cross about it. And I sometimes see people on air who are signalling to the audience that they're cross with their producer. I'm sure you never get cross with Simon, of course, but it doesn't work because all they can see is you and they think you silly old sausage, it's you that's messing it up.
0: What are you, you, know, what are you blaming your producers for? Yeah, well, that's really interesting, isn't it? Uh, You know, but but that's uh, called leadership to me, isn't it? Because you have to bring the team together because there's a a big team that that puts the news on screen. And if you are one of those people who actually starts blaming and pointing fingers and also your face is uh, in a very large way, responsible for communicating the information
2: so yeah. that, i mean that is a really good point i just want to pick on that instantly paul because that you know that really chimes with my beliefs is that um you know it, it's kind of leadership but it's about being collegiate as well because just because you're the billy big boots appearing on screen and you know television however good the technology gets nobody gets on screen with at least without at least you know 25 people somewhere probably more um doing exactly um you know, as difficult a job as you do to get you there so you ain't the most important thing there. You're just part of that, that great machine that puts it on air. Um, yes, you are the face of it, and that, but it's your job to deal with it. And let me tell you, it's better than a real job. Um, <laughs> read, reading out loud and dealing with the odd cock up or two. You know, who, who wouldn't want to do that? And the, you know, the, the poor people who've, you know, who've worked really hard all day on, on, on a graphic or on whatever it is that perhaps doesn't go right. Well, don't blame them for it if it it doesn't go right. they tried their best, by and large. And it's not just because you're on screen doesn't make you the person who can then, you know, point the finger of blame.
0: Well, it's interesting from a leadership standpoint, and you've seen uh, thousands of leaders come through the studio and you've had to work with them. How important is a sense of humour to good leadership on that level? Well... I mean, it's it's essential. I mean, in terms of
2: yeah, um, in terms of the leaders, and I by and large interview leaders in some way, shape, or form. Mainly politicians, but in my past, I was actually a, a business journalist and interviewed an awful lot of uh, you know so-called uh, uh, leaders of industry. Um, and yeah, humans, you know, I don't know about their own their own companies or organisations behind them and how often they employ humour but if they're in a way using which they usually are using my medium to get a message across yes to the wider public but also it's it, it's back isn't it to um to your own organization then humor is essential um absolutely essential and to communicate to the audience if you don't show you've got a bit of a sense of of irony i think i just think that is such an essential british trait if you don't show you don't take yourself entirely seriously yeah you know you're you know you're fully across your brief and all the rest of it but you understand that well yeah you know it's not all that serious sometimes yes it is serious in many cases but hey you can have a laugh at yourself i don't think you'll do very well if you if you can Communicate that when you're sitting in my studio and it can be difficult because I'm an ornery bastard who <laughs> <laughs> try, try and put you on the spot. But then, you know, but then you can break through the interviewer as well. You know, you can actually prick the pomposity of the twit that's sitting across. And I mean, I'm that twit um, asking you silly questions that they haven't researched hard enough.
0: So do you think there's a link between humour and humility in, that, in the way people come across? Yeah um
2: absolutely uh you know whether you are or, or not, humble or not i mean i know for a fact you know some of the some of the hardest hardest um uh, people with the hardest reputation you know in in, in the city or whatever you know have, have uh, sat in with me and come across people you'd like this is the test isn't it it goes for politicians the test you always do is in the focus groups you ask uh, people would you like to go and have a drink with them um, and, you know, I sat around with people who afterwards, my producer goes, you know, you know, they just um, come in the studio after sacking uh, 250 people in a single day and telling them to <laughs>
0: clear, clear their desks instantly. You go, oh, OK, right. yep, seemed nice person to me. Well, that's really interesting because you have interviewed an extraordinary cross range of people from heads of state to the leaders all over the world, but also Mike Tyson and Desmond Tutu and everybody in between. So what are your tips? Because our audience wants something to take away for people uh, being interviewed on TV. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, that's it. You know, first of all, uh, you know, a a little, a little sense of irony, um, uh, you mentioned Mike Tyson. Uh, basically, don't interview Mike Tyson because he might hit you, <laughs> which he nearly did um, live on air when I uh, suggested to him that his, you know, that he hadn't apologised enough for his prison sentence. Uh, I won't go into that there, but it was live television and Mike, um, Mike was a millisecond away from um, demonstrating the power of his uh, right hook live on air. Uh, Which actually afterwards, um, I came uh, trembling off air. It was live television. I came trembling off air after quite seriously he had uh, told me that he decided not to hit me. I came off air trembling, went into my uh, editor's studio who'd watched it all. I said, that must have been been a a good watch. He said, yeah, it was brilliant. I said, do you know what? He was going to hit me at one point. And uh, the editor goes, yeah, it's just a pity he didn't. (laughs) <laughs> thought, Thank you very much indeed, because, you know, I would certainly have had no teeth, probably have been unconscious. <laughs> I think the other thing, I mean, this is, uh, yeah, humor, irony, um, preparation in terms of, you know, the kind of questions that are kind of going to come your way, but that's obviously, you, you're always going to do that. But have the knowledge in your head that you're always going to know more because it's your organization or your policy or whatever. You're always going to know more than the interviewer. You really are. Um, they'll have some more tricks, you know, they ask you what the price of a pint of milk is or something, you know, something like that. But you know, if you haven't prepared for that, then you shouldn't really be in the studio um, and, you know, don't baffle them with uh, don't baffle them and therefore the audience uh, with technical ease. But, um, you know, just be approachable. Um, so you've got it wrong there, and, 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 and these these are the these are the true facts about my organisation and my business. And, but don't ramble, make the point, move on, put the interviewer in their place. Yeah, this this is media training we're getting into.
0: Well, well, it is. And it's very interesting. But I I wonder, because I mean, uh, knowing how you work and how quickly news organisations work, you're literally as I've been, you know, you've interviewed me and wheeled into the studio. And that's the first time you see you're sat down. uh, The interviewer, like yourself, is being talked to um, um, down the line or something uh, by his producer. So you get a chance to say hello. But somebody who walks into a studio has to be aware that there's still got to be some kind of building of rapport, hasn't they, with somebody like you? Yeah,
2: I mean that's that's a good idea if you can. But you're right. I mean a lot of it, what I do is live television and uh, and live events, and so you know you yes we I remember you know, we, we we've talked together quite a lot, you know, um, in, in different spheres. Um, and it can happen with 30 seconds notice in terms of, you know, I know that I'm interviewing you or not. Um, and, uh, building that rapport is, is terribly, terribly difficult beforehand. Um, one way not to do it, by the way, is, um, in terms of the media training thing, I've, I've seen quite a lot of people come in to my studio who, who, with that 20, 30 seconds we've got before, before we go live, say, what's your first question? Two things on that. I probably don't know what it is. Uh, and secondly, and um, if I do know what it is, I'm not going to tell you. So I'll tell you the wrong question and then ask you a different one because <laughs> you've clearly got a prepared answer. And that's not being nasty. No, no, no. It's not being nasty. It's just no. I don't want a pre-prepared answer. I want you to be natural. And that's the real thing. That's all I want you to be. So if you've got, if I tell you my first question and you give me a pre-prepared answer, that is dull. <laughs> really goddamn dull. Now, if you're clever, I'll ask you a different question. And if you're, you know, it's the, the old Tony Blair trick, isn't it? The, the absolute grand master of um, seeming to answer a question without doing that, um, I'll ask you the different question and you'll still be able to tell me your pre-prepared answer by, you know, a little bit of zigzagging around and you get to, well, damn it, what the point really is, is this? And then I'm sitting there going, you swine.
0: But is, is that much more prevalent now? I mean, I see you interview politicians all the time. And, I've, I've you know, it's a lot of the time I keep thinking your job's getting harder and harder and harder because they're not answering any of the questions. And they've got all this uh, preamble waffle that that used to just be, I'm glad you asked me that, but now involves huge amounts of like, I'm talking, so you can't interrupt me while, and we're just using up the time in order to be able to get to that.
2: Yeah, you're right. It is a real problem. Um, and, you know, there's been a, a couple of phases um, I think in the evolution of that during the course of my career. And, uh, you know we've moved on from their kind of um paxman humphreys era i think now just getting sticking the boot in and and in a way they're not hearing anything at all from the politician and more from um and you know, not just those those two men but you know plenty of others um, i myself have indulged in plenty of you know kind of interruptive interviews in the past then i think we moved into okay well let's try it this way um let's you know listen and listen and listen and listen, and then you're right, you end up with these four five minute answers. You think this isn't a party political broadcast. Yeah. Address, address the question and have a conversation, which never happens you know, with a politician. It never happens. And you're right, we've now reached this, this phase, and I hope it is just a phase, where all the politicians we seem to have got in senior positions are so damn scared of you know, uh, the bosses at the top and uh, those that advise them. I mean, they're terrified. They stick to the party line, and you 've got to remember this about the l word about lying, which you know you, you can 't use in parliament and um, it, 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 and it 's seen as you know even outside it it 's seen as let 's say difficult problematic. To, to call politicians liars. But in a sense, and i am just got to caveat this, it, it, in a sense, they all are, certainly at Cabinet rank, because of collective responsibility. Now, you know, once somebody gets into the Cabinet, they're bound by collective responsibility and therefore have to support a policy that they don't necessarily support, or that they might have, within the space, after there's been a reshuffle, as there has been recently, within the space of the last few weeks, have spoken against, but they will then appear in your studio or on the airwaves supporting that. That policy and telling you why it's a very good idea and you know and if this is the definition of lying maybe it's broader than that but um they are saying something that they personally don't believe in is that lying or isn't it i don't know but you know i don't think it helps with with with, with the world of public discourse
0: no i uh, i don't think so either but uh, do you think i mean continuing that theme is humor and essentially charisma now essential to get on in politics it's the opposite it used to be i mean we all knew you know those wonderful
2: politicians of all parties um they they'd come into the studio um and even if they were you know going to discuss a, a difficult policy they'd have you'd know they'd have a turn of phrase they'd have a bit of a an ability to say something in a way, you know, not necessarily humorous, um, but, it, but but in a way that was engaging, uh, and showed that they had, you know, wider interests, hinterland, understood the difficulties. I mean, you know, I can. It's dangerous if I start, uh, you know, naming names. But you know, they are they are for, they are in the past from all parties. I see very few of them now, and any of them that are left in Parliament now are, you know, kind of. Older, um, lacking, or, or not needing, um, you know, t- t- the, the, the greasy pole of the party. You know, they're not looking for advancement anymore, so they feel freer to speak. But you know, they're getting winnowed out rapidly. I should say, though, and we, you know, while we're talking about humour in politics specifically, I should point out the prime minister again. You know, I'm not talking any in any party political way, but look, there is an example of all the kind of robotic people that you know, with the best will in the world to surround the prime minister and indeed in other parties as well, he's not one of them. How has Boris Johnson got so far? Because of his engagement with the public. The public don't know Boris Johnson as a politician, first and foremost. They knew him as a kind of entertaining media guy. Have I got news for you, the columns, uh, I mean, the millions of words he, he used to write. That's how they know Boris Johnson. And he's continued with that and a lot of, you know, political professionals and uh, people in my industry criticise him for his lack of grasp of of detail and policy. But focus group after focus group, which they do on a daily basis, comes back and say, on that test I mentioned earlier, who would you like to have a pint with? Uh, Would it be, you know, and they name all the party leaders. And number one by a street is Boris Johnson. Um, And he has harnessed that ability. in the dissembling, the shirt tucked out, the messy hair... You know, it may or may not be studied, but it has worked for him so far.
0: Well, I, I, it's a brand, isn't it, really? And it's a it's a deliberate brand. And it's kind of what I meant by the question, like, that to get to the true pinnacle of politics, is that what you have to do now? Because you're being judged against what we'll call the Boris factor, of charisma and, or perceived charisma and perceived humour, that you you are now being judged about. So anybody who is up against him doesn't stand as much of a chance. Is that fair or is that? It's real? an impossible question, Paul. I just think it's impossible because you know, the, you
2: know, cometh cometh the hour, cometh the person. Um, to, to paraphrase, it depends what times you kind of live in um you know boris is a booster um as as he said you know he's tiggerish is the the latest um phrase to to describe his 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 cabinet and it, it kind of since the times everyone's a bit gloomy and he's continually continually trying to to lift things but you know my view is is that if things get really bad you know um economically particularly Then the time for the so-called technocrats comes along. You want someone, you know, dull as Ditchwater, wearing some very dull glasses, um, speaking in a monotone, who will actually sort out the mess.
0: Well, you've got your first degree was in history, wasn't it? And so I suppose history does show us that that does happen, that suddenly you get the the grey man comes in and takes over when it's all gone to pot.
2: Yeah, um, th- that's precisely it. And um, in terms of you know uh, the configuration of uh, of the Conservative Party at the moment, with you know um, Boris Johnson at the top, with those with those features we described there, but most of the rest of those around him absolutely sending off the well indistinguishable signals to the public. Uh, the you know the polling of the public on who do you, who do you know in the cabinet is you know they're in low double figures, and that's. That's the best of them, and plenty of them are in single figures, and some of them are the absolute um, when they bring the substitute on at football. Who? Um, and <laughs> I think I think that is the way. I think that is the way Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson likes it T- to challenge him um, within his party or from another party. Would they have to be, you know, um, <laughs> even more um, Coco the clown um, than him? But <laughs> I just don't know.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting idea. Do you go the opposite way and just play it straight, as it were, which is, I think, what is happening at the moment. Well, it's, it's, well, it's that definition and
2: it is, you know, it's, it's, it's younger people, isn't it? You know, it's about authenticity. People whiff now, that's the thing, whether it's humour or not. You know, if you're a dull person, stay dull. Don't try and be funny. I mean, as you know, you must know yeah. from the podcast, there's nothing, there's nothing worse than somebody who's actually just not got a funny bone trying to pe- trying to pretend they have one. Be yourself, whatever you are. And, and by and large, there is some humour in you somewhere. I'm sounding like a kind of Mary Poppins song, you know.
0: You <laughs> Well, find well, it. well, well the, do you think there is humour in everyone on some level then?
2: Yes, yeah, it's, whether, it's whether, you know, um, you've been laughed at or, or, or been <laughs> laughed along with, isn't it? <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, but it's an interesting thing because you've spent sort of uh, many years on the news and quiz shows and, and as an accomplished awards presenter and host, I know that you're valued for your charm, your confidence, your professionalism to win over overall manner of audiences. But do you think that is enough or do you think to be truly successful, you need a facility with and an understanding of comedy?
2: comedy and absurdity and I think you know I don't want to get too philosophical about this but you know about um, existentialism you know yeah. <laughs> and especially you know where, where you exist uh, in if we're talking about you know our society in um, in the developed in, in the rich part of the world you know however bad things get they ain't as bad you know it's your, it's, it's your mother telling you to to finish your food because um there are people starving all around around the world it's that sense of, of of grounding um of the absurdity of the lottery of life which is kind of serious and humorous as well i do a test on my on my children when when they were growing up um you know when we talk about these things what fun it was around our dinner table um and uh you know we talk about um they talk to me, come and say, Dad, you know, they're like all, all young people, you know, we're really, really worried about, you know, the situation. We've seen this on the news and we're worried about the situation in this country or that country and, and of course, the climate. Um, and, uh, you know, not uh, too very long ago, we were talking about migration. Um, and uh, and they're saying, wow, you know, um, wow, what, what, what do we do about this? Um, and... I I put this test to them, I said, how many people do you think, you know, we're lucky enough, we've got um, a garden, I've got a lawn, I've got a shed, I keep my lawnmower in it, I've got a cat, and I said, let's put these two things together, and our our shed, um, which I obviously every now and again get get put out in, so the lawnmower's there as well, but it has electricity and it has a little water tap, so there you are, you know where I'm going here, I said to them, how many people in the world do you think, if they were allowed to come here, would come and live in the side of a lawnmower and eat what the cat eats? Because I'm told that cat food is, you know, all heat treated and it's not the best cuts of meat, but it won't kill you and it's nutritious. It's got protein. The cat, the cat lives. How many people do you think would, you know, live off cat food and sleep in my shed if they if they, if they could if they could come here? Um, and you know they go, oh I don't know, a thousand hundred thousand or whatever and I said well you know you just look at UN statistics about the number of people who are at you know its proper poverty levels and indeed uh, and indeed at starvation levels and you're into you know you're into the billions and that's that you know that that's the thing I kind of hope I, I put in front of them and that's the thing I've always carried yes. in, in in my journalistic career.
0: No, and, and that's brilliant. And it suddenly reminded of my, me of my father, God rest his soul, who was an economist and uh, he was a Hungarian refugee and he came over here. And uh, when he used to work um, uh, in statistics, he said, when I was having my worst day, I would go and look up the statistics for the world when it was still in books. And he goes, even at my poorest, I was still in the top 8% of the world's uh, wow. wealth. And that is... And humour does give you a perspective yeah. at, at, on life
2: that is good 8% right i'm
0: going to have a professor boros right yeah i'll have that <laughs> thank you well this was uh, this was a while ago uh, unfortunately he's passed so he's uh, but those kind of things stay with you so i mean to do that with your kids i think giving them a sense of humor and a sense of perspective mm. is key to a long and happy life which is what the humorology project is all about so what makes you laugh Dermot?
2: Oh well as I've been mean, we've been touching upon it isn't it the the absurdity of the of the human condition and how how people point it
0: up isn't that the very basis I guess of humor. Humor is truth isn't it? Uh, you know or tr- they say humor is yeah. tragedy plus time. So um, <laughs> uh, but also uh, it it has to have a kernel of truth in it because uh, you have to go all oh, that could have been me, or that's what I do, or, and understand. And I also think understanding the ridiculousness of everything and, you know, you and I know each other and we, 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 we look at our careers and go, A, lucky bastards, but B, ridiculous ways to earn a living for both of us.
2: Oh, that's for sure. Um, but you yeah, know, let's not. You blew a bit of uh, smoke um, towards my fundament um, to, to do it back. It's also it's also hard work. Um, you know, in terms in terms of the area you're in, if you want to shine in uh, in an environment, it goes for anything. And if if you want to, you know, be good at humor, I mean. Um, you can 't you can work at it you can 't polish it as I say, you know there are some people who are naturally going to be way, way, way funnier than others, but they can be even funnier and um, we, we see that in people
0: like myself well, well, I ask everybody this on the podcast. Can you tell me a a true, funny story about something that 's happened to you
2: well they 're all excruciating you know as we discussed earlier, um, nary a day goes by without something awful. Uh, or potentially awful happening on there. I mean, I've had to utter... Uh, I mean, you know, the uh, the autobiography hasn't come out yet, but, you know, it's already bulging with uh, <laughs> with files. So let me... Um, one of the most... They're all so embarrassing. One of the um, worst experiences uh, of my life was... Um, uh, but, but also afterwards, I had to see the humour in it, um, which nearly ended my career before it had started, was um, way back in... I started way back in the 80s and i was lucky enough um at the end of the 80s um to get an assignment to japan it was so exciting I, i'd never been before um for um the death not exciting a death of uh, the the old war emperor emperor hirohito he was That's i don't funny. know in his late 80s or 90s then and was um dying in the imperial palace in tokyo this is a really funny story isn't it <laughs> <laughs> but um as, um, as, as things happened, um, the, the, the way um, the Japanese then covered it was um, all, the, all the coverage you got about the state of health of the emperor, including his bowel movements, may I say, are posted on a little, um, a little sheet of paper um, at, every morning outside Taikoko, the imperial palace in the, in the center of Tokyo. And that's all you've got to think. And, and, you know, um, Emperor Hirohito um, hanged on, hung on for a very long time so I was there for about six weeks and my producer's going you've got six weeks you're staying in the imperial hotel overlooking the imperial palace you're chewing up all this money you've got to go out and do some reports for us on other things you can't just go every morning to the imperial palace uh read out stuff about the emperor's bowel movements which we can't broadcast because you know they're a little too intimate and we're not interested anyway we just want to know you know when the old war criminals dead, <laughs> and then assess his legacy. So um, as a result, we were sent out doing some features. This is the late 80s, um, in you know, very technologically advanced then Tokyo. So here's the story. We decide to go to, and it doesn't sound revolutionary now, but it was in 1989, to one of the biggest department stores, I forget its name, in central Tokyo. We set it all up with the management. You know, it's all very bureaucratic. And we filmed cashless payments unheard of in um in europe at the time you know 32 years ago they had cashless payments card everything we're familiar with now so 32 years ago and as you know shooting these sequences it takes the time you know so and we've got endless <laughs> amounts of time as well because the emperor is still as far as i know doing handsprings around his bedroom and not dying <laughs> so we're um we're filming this small angles we only got one camera guy and he's shooting it this way and getting the light there and we had a we had a, a young a shop assistant and sh- you know her hands a close-up of her hands a close-up of the card a close-up of the till and a close you all shot and it's taking four or five hours and i'm redundant at this point and shooting all the technical stuff as the reporter so i had got a little japanese phrase book and a Use the four hours to learn some Japanese phrases. I knew a bit, but we we obviously had a translator as well, a fixer. Um, And at the end of it, finally, you know, the young young assistant, you know, we bow and she speaks no English, I speak no Japanese. And out of my phrase book, I say in Japanese to her, spent four hours learning this phrase, thank you very much indeed, you are a very good actress. The manager who's standing beside uh, rushes over to punch me is restrained by our fixer she bursts into tears the assistant i mean uncontrollable floods of tears and runs off and my fixer who's been standing somewhere somewhere off me in the facebook goes what have you done and we're ejected um the tapes are taken from us the whole report's over we're ejected instantly from the department store and he goes what have you done i said all I said to her was, thank you very much. You're a very good actress. And he said, show me, show me, show me, show me the phrases. And I had said, thank you very much. Manage that. You are a very good, and the, how do I put it, the archaic phrase for actress, which actually you think about it in the UK. Nell Gwyn was an actress. <laughs> yes. And I'd called her a hooker. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that went... Swimmingly well, yeah. Nearly, <laughs> nearly, nearly ejected from the whole of
0: Japan. <laughs> oh, well, 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 That is a lovely story. And, and what's yeah. the hidden value in that? Uh, learning <laughs> in that. Yeah,
2: J- just if you've got a fixer who can speak fluent Japanese, <laughs> don't try yeah. it yourself.
0: I oh, no. oh, What would the world be like without humour?
2: Um, very dull um i i don't think humanity would exist Does, is this one of the um is this one of the traits the characteristics that sets us apart um we i don't know maybe you know maybe birds do have have a sense of humor i'm i'm not entirely sure yeah i mean it's, it's essential it's it's you know it, it 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 more than greases it lubricates um human relations that's 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 how we get on
0: well i I think you're hundred percent right because I, I think if we didn't have any humor we have no perspective on the world and I think maybe that's what it does and isn't it isn't it strange that it, that you've interviewed all these people and of course um when you uh, get into um, sort of people who are trying to um totalitarian states just let's say they try and get rid of the humor don't they because it it, it worries them.
2: That is a really good point, actually. Yeah, you know, and I, as you can guess, I've reported on a few totalitarian states in my time. In actual fact, this is what a fun guy I am to be with. I just took on my recent holiday reading a book called The Grey Men, all about the Stasi um, in oh, East German, Germany and, uh, and just how they haven't actually gone away. Um, but, you know, the, de- the description of that society pre- precisely as you describe there, the whole point, Humour is dangerous because what do we want to do with humour? One of the main planks of it is um, you want to slightly take the piss out of the hierarchies. Terrible idea in any totalitarian state. That's disloyalty, and then you end up with you know. I I think this is one of the awful things about you know the uh, about a state like that was that you end up and they found out an awful lot about it um, when the you know they served quite a lot of the archive, not, not the majority of it. And then you find out that, you know, your children were literally grassing you up or you were grassing your children up for making, you know, uh, the odd joke or two about the Politburo.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I used to have, I had a friend who was from South Africa and who actually um, put on comedy nights and then had to escape in the middle of the night because uh, they were they, he was um, warned that they were coming to get him. So it was just like, wow, just for putting on comedy.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess your dad. I mean, you say your dad was was Hungarian. Did he did he escape them? Um
0: before it, um, it, it moved no he escaped what? after 56 because oh. um, he was well, when I say involved in the uprising he was one of many people on 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 the streets um, and uh, they basically said you know they're, they're rounding people up you better so he um, got a train as far as he could and then walked for four days in the snow to to get out um, leaving everything behind literally yeah. so um, but funny enough he said, that the thing that got them through was the sense of humour. Yeah,
2: but you see, that's the point, is it? But it's also so undermining to leadership. It's back to the point I made earlier. It's that point, are you laughing with us or at us? If you're laughing at us, and you still see it, um, you know, in, 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 in plenty of these so-called populist parties, left or right, I mean, it's amazing how many of them are, um, how many of the leadership are actually from a comedy background or, or or a light entertainment background? I mean, we've seen it in Italy, obviously, seeing it in Bulgaria uh, at the moment, and and plenty of other plenty of other countries as well, and it's just so undermining of the leadership. I think it's quite interesting when you get to, you know, obviously, you know, we're not a totalitarian receiver. We're the very opposite of that. You know, we're, a, we're a bastion of human rights and, and democracy with all the faults, whatever. But, you know, you actually got um, the funny guy, the funny guy who's not a comedian in charge.
0: Yeah. That's right. it's interesting, isn't it? The way that swings. I I just wanted to ask you, before we get on to quick fire questions, I want to ask you, in the the old days, we had the and finally stories at the end of the news. And that seems to have gone a bit for a burden. Uh, Is humour important to help people cope with a torrent of uh, bad news? And do we need more roller skating ducks? Yes,
2: yes we do. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. We are, um, yeah, we're snowed under with with people feeling depressed by watching the news. Um, Yeah, climate change isn't very funny. COVID isn't. um, Yeah, there's, you know, a long, long, long list of of awfulness um, that I deal with on a daily basis. But within that, Within that, there are those skateboarding ducks, you know, there, there are the water skiing squirrels. Let's <laughs> let's have a little bit more of them because people can take light and shade.
0: Well, and, and don't, do you think it's incumbent on, to put more light into um, live television or into news television? Because I mean, uh, mm-hmm. because the phrase, if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah, that's
2: that's a tricky one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that's not entirely true. But, yeah, the awfulness, you know, I've heard various um, members of my community that, the news, the news reading community, news anchor community um, uh, suggesting, yeah, we need good news shows. And somehow, yeah, you know, they don't kind of work because people maybe they want to hear the bad news first. I think the end finally is the right place for it. You know, I think within, within some of the other stories, you could actually insert a little bit more. It's not humour, but it's back to that. Really, is it, you know, the irony, I suppose, is, is, is the phrase.
0: But isn't that, uh, I think that's one of the ways you do your job so well, that even in the midst of a serious interview, you can find a little a time for levity, a, in appropriate levity. Is that not true?
2: yeah well with me quite often it's sarcasm uh, i must admit which is maybe not the lowest form but it, it certainly isn't the top um but i just find myself i think yeah you know my family was quite sarcastic um, i think it's you know quite quite a trait around these parts of the world um just to just to bring you down um you know and it is just uh, you know you, you you know it all um and i find myself particularly with politicians uh you know when they what, i've got a trigger now, um, you know, back to the the robotic answers you get. I've got a trigger. There's two phrases <laughs> I shouldn't give this away, which actually trigger me. I go, you know, newsreader Hulk here. I go all green underneath here. I'm not sure I've got the, the muscular chest to match. But um, they are. We are listening carefully <laughs> to the proposals, you think, are you? That means, that means you've thrown it in the bin. <laughs> and the other one, we're going to do everything we can. I've heard that phrase today a lot. We're going to do everything we can. So particularly on that one, I go, right, so everything you can. So would that be diverting the entire budget of the United Kingdom to this issue? Because you could do that because you're the government. And then they just go, don't be ridiculous, damn it. <laughs> and I just, like I'm triggered by stock phrases.
0: Well, and that's that's really interesting because uh, I think what you do uh, really well is uh, in psychology we call it meta modeling, where you go uh, you go okay, how specifically are you going to do everything you can? You
2: know, <laughs> so you just exactly that. You just ask, you know, very simple questions, um, and they said, well, you know, that, well, we can't get into the detail. I said, well, that's what people want. You know, we're going to build. 400,000 more houses. I mean, you know, the hundreds of thousands of houses have, have been going to be built in every single manifesto by every single major party for the last 25 years. And um, you see precious few of them. But So you just say, well, just tell, just tell me how. There's a plot of land at the back of my house. How would you build affordable housing on that? Well, I don't know the area. You say, no, 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 but it's in general. <laughs> I, I'm conducting the interview in my own head.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's brilliant, and, and I, I, I love when you do that. Now we come to the part of the show, Dermot. We like to call Quick Fire Questions. Oh, dear. Quick Fire Questions! Who is the funniest? And actually, I'm going to even go a little bit deeper. Uh, the funniest and the most surprised... Actually, I'd like the funniest business person, you or politician or somebody you've okay. interviewed, but also the most surprising, somebody who surprised you and, and and you thought everything you'd heard about them was that they were quite dure, but uh-huh. they they turned it around and surprised you? Well oh, business,
2: straight business person there is um, uh, a guy, I mean, um, very, very good business operator, perhaps um, not particularly well-known, a guy called Wilf Walsh, um, who fits that category. He used to run a, Uh, big bookmakers used to run choral bookmakers and uh, I remember once bumping into him thinking you know he's going to be quite a lot of horsey people and bookmaking people are pretty you know up and down here bottom line how do I make money out of those sad punters. Wilf Walsh um, has got all the qualities that uh, we've mentioned during the course of this chat. Um, Irony, um, self-deprecation, seeing the funny side and everything. He now runs I think he now runs carpet right or something like that but Wilf is a Wilf is a top guy you know um and not to be confused with um his namesake Willie Walsh uh, a not so funny guy
0: yeah no we'll we'll leave it there on that one.
2: <laughs> oh, Michael O'Leary as well I think he's very funny uh, perhaps not good for his brand but I do I do love I mean you know the first time I interviewed him was back uh, shortly after Ryanair had been set up uh, about, you know, the classic, uh, so what, so tell me, uh, Mr O'Leary, you know, what is that um, you're not taking complaints seriously? And he said, damn it, of course we take our complaints seriously. Who who said that? And I you know, read out this long list, you know, from <laughs> of complaints. He said, well, look, you just, just, just look, out, look, look here, there's 400 of them or whatever. Well, he, really? he said, how dare they say that? Our complaints line is open, every third Wednesday of the month from 11.45 to 11.46. And we won't have it any different. (laughs) (laughs) You're
0: mad. But it works, doesn't it? Because it it shifts people's attention somewhere else. And once they're laughing, it's much easier to, uh, to play that game. Brilliant. What book makes you laugh? Um,
2: oh, um loads uh i think one which really uh well, one from way back when uh, i read it thirty, forty years ago um the, a confederacy of dunces john kennedy Toole um yes. spoke that um very sadly uh committed suicide shortly after writing the book i think it won a pulitzer prize uh, posthumous for him but really i mean yeah um not not an attractive uh Uh, main character, but really, really quietly hilarious.
0: Brilliant. What film makes you laugh?
2: (sighs) It's got to be, hasn't it? Um, Anchorman, uh, one and two, um, if I can have two. Um, Yeah, uh, for, for someone in the business, it's actually not a
0: comedy. I think it's more of a documentary. Okay. we're going to take a shift to the other side now. What is not funny?
2: Yeah, well, things that aren't, things that I don't find funny in terms of attempted humour were um, uh, Nazis never found LOLO funny. I just, I I can't, I can't go there. I can't, maybe as a historian, I just can't find any, any, any any humour there. Um, But that's interesting.
0: The the producers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, It's
2: funny. I was going to say that. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I do. I, I think, you know, maybe Mel Brooks found a way of doing that, but. Mm. Yeah. By and large, no. Um, yeah. Uh, actually, yeah, the producers will be on one of my, one of the all time funniest films. So you've got me there, Paul. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, that's it really. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, uh what word makes you laugh, Dermot?
2: <laughs> wow. Um, the Gaul, That's three words. Um, <laughs>
0: what, what... Well, let's say that again,
2: because I I miss that. I might be mispronouncing it. Verkangetarix. It's from the Asterix books. Yours used to—I don't know oh. why—yours used to make me laugh. Yeah, look, that, that, that's just Vert, free association. I've I no, I've no,
0: no deep. No, I, I, well, I remember reading asterix when I was young, but I, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I had no memory of the, those words. To be honest with you, Vertin Geterix.
2: all you know? or maybe Jeterix, probably. That, that's um, that, that that's the free association nature of this quickfire round. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. I never, I never knew that was going to come out.
0: Well, as, as the Monty Python said, free association football. <laughs> <laughs> Um, would you rather be considered clever or funny?
2: Well, I'm sure everyone says and, but, um, yeah, don't you have to be, I mean, to be funny, I think you have to be a bit clever. Certainly, certainly if you are funny, people think you're clever. So maybe funny because I'd like to be both.
0: Well, yeah. And, and I actually think that that's a really good point because uh, uh, I think in I've I've met very few comedians who aren't actually very sharp yeah. on, on that level because you have the, all the synapses of the brain have to be firing very very quickly mm. to make those associations in order to be uh, funny so I, I think I think your choice is correct actually Thank you <laughs> and finally, desert island gags if you could only take one joke with you to a desert island what would it be
2: i can hardly remember any jokes um but one that sticks with me and i'm mentally editing this because this is one from way back when that my dad told me which i didn't understand when he told me it um but i now do um because i was about six or seven um (laughs) i'm just mentally editing this paul because yeah um My dad said, did you hear about the agnostic, dyslexic, insomniac who used to lie awake at night worrying if there is a dog? (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's okay. Yes, it is. I thought that was very clever of him to tell me that so young because I used to lay awake at night
0: going, why is that funny? Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, but he, he, he actually took you on a journey to to discovery yeah. and until learning. Yeah, until oh. I got a dictionary, till I could read a dictionary. Oh, that, that's brilliant, Dermot! Thank you so much for sharing that joke, uh, that knowledge, and your great humour with us on the Humorology podcast. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. The Humorology podcast was hosted by Paul Barros. And produced by Simon Banks. Music by Steve Hayworth. Creative direction by Les Hughes. And additional research by Helen Sykes. Please remember to subscribe, like and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Big Sky production.
1: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga.